0: Being a Better Man, episode 32. You have just entered a world governed by personal accountability, where being a man is not an excuse for bad behavior, where complaints are not allowed, whining is forbidden, and excuses do not exist. Join us as we focus on the actual character of men rather than merely the trappings of manhood. Well, hold it. We're not doing that today. Today is story time. That's right, folks. Instead of the regularly scheduled podcast, I've decided to squeak in something extra in between. Story time with Alf. These stories are relevant to the mission here at Being a Better Man. Because in every story, even though these are my stories, there is some lesson, example, or other nugget that you might be able to apply to your life. Or it might remind you of your own similar story. Either way, you should be entertained. So at the end of each story, I will talk briefly about what the lesson learned was, the moral of the story, in other words. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the story. On this show, I've told you stories from my early childhood, and also from very recent history. This one is in between. It's an army story, an incident that had a profound impact effect on me it happened in September of 1980 just a couple months after my 18th birthday I actually went into the army on my actual birthday there were several reasons for that one I had a disagreement with my boxing trainer and being young and foolish maybe a little hot-headed I figured I would show him instead of turning pro I would just go join the army. Number two, it was peacetime, but the Ayatollah of Iran had taken 30 American hostages. And things were heating up in the Middle East. I was feeling very patriotic, and I figured if there was going to be a war, that I should be a part of it. Number three, I decided to join on my actual birthday Because I had been saying for a couple years that I was not going to be dependent on anyone else past my 18th birthday. I also talked a couple friends into joining on the same day. So there I was, in the Army. For me, my basic training experience was going to last three months. Because I was in a combat job, and my basic and advanced training were all done together. I had been there about two months. And I had one month to go. We were in Georgia at Fort Benning in the summertime. And it was so hot and so humid. The weather was the hardest thing for me to get used to because it was very different from my home state of Washington. Otherwise, I enjoyed basic training. I enjoyed the physical and mental challenges and the camaraderie of it. And I enjoyed the game of not being last and not being the worst at anything. One sultry Sunday afternoon, we were all hanging out in the barracks. There was no training going on this day. Suddenly, a drill sergeant walked into our barracks. And everyone jumped to their feet and assumed the parade rest position. Because that's just what you did when a drill sergeant showed up. The drill sergeant did something strange then. He just leaned against the wall and said in a very casual almost normal tone relax guys I just came by to invite you all down to the assembly area there's something we need to tell you and then he left we just looked at each other in stunned silence these drill sergeants never open their mouth without saying something loud and menacing he was acting like a regular person he was treating us like regular people It was very strange, and it made us all very curious. There was no way we would turn down a friendly invitation like that, so we all went down to the assembly area to see what was going on. The assembly area was just a place where we assembled. There were some bleachers in a circle formation right outside the first sergeant's office. We had four companies of around 30 men each, so there were about 120 of us, "'gathered in the shade on this hot Georgia afternoon. "'The officers were all there, and the drill sergeants, even the captain, was there. "'But it was very surreal. "'They were all just hanging out like us. "'There was no saluting, no barking of orders. "'Then the first sergeant Gonzalez walked out, and he stood in front of us. "'He was a small man, but extremely tough.' He had black belts in several disciplines, and he'd done about three tours in Vietnam. We all respected him a lot. He said, Men, thank you for coming. There's something very important we have to tell you. He had our full attention. He went on. It is my duty to inform you that at approximately 1,500 hours yesterday, the President of the United States made a declaration of war against the country of Iran and its allies. He let this sink in for a minute. You could have heard a mouse fart a hundred feet away. He continued, We got orders this morning that this training unit will be sanctioned as a complete fighting unit. You will not go to another duty station. We are all being deployed to the war as a group in approximately one week. The executive officer will explain our mission. As we waited for the XO to replace the first sergeant in front, there was just stunned silence. Nobody was saying anything. I felt like something huge and heavy had hit me in the chest, and I was just stunned and trying to wrap my brain around it. The XO rolled down this big map of the Middle East that had been staged there. He was holding a pointer. And he began to point and speak. He said in seven days' time, we would be flying in a C-130 with all our gear to an undisclosed location where we would board another aircraft that would fly us all the way to an aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf, stopping for fuel once along the way. From there, we would get issued our ammo and our other ordnance and board an amphibious assault vehicle. We were going to storm a beach, just like they did in World War II. He said that intelligence reports showed there were enemy troops already in position along that coastline, and we were expected to encounter heavy resistance. Our mission, along with neighboring units, was to eliminate these enemy positions so we could set up a base camp for future war operations. The XO sat down, and then the captain came up to the front. He told us that he realized this might come as a shock, but we were in the army, and this is what we joined for. He told us to take the rest of the day to write letters home. He told us to look to the men to our right and our left, and after we did, he said, Half of these men next to you will not make it back, or You might be the one that doesn't make it back. But we're a good unit, and if we look out for each other, remember our training, and keep our nerve, we had a chance. Then he said that was all, and dismissed us. The officers all left, but the first sergeant and the drill sergeants remained just casually hanging out. For a while, we all just sat there, each man in his own thoughts, I became aware that several men around me were crying. I'm not talking about sniffling. They were actually bawling. And like I said earlier, at first the shock of it was like something big physically hitting me. I was just stunned. Then my next thoughts were of my family, my parents, my siblings. I thought about them as I digested the very real possibility that I might never see him again. I grieved for my mother, knowing her sensitive soul would be diswrought at the news I was going to war. I thought about a lot of things. I thought about my dog back home, my friends, my girlfriend. I thought about the fact that I might never marry. I might never have kids. Eventually, I got done thinking about all the things I might never be able to do. And I started thinking about the reality of what we were going to do. I would have to kill people. I would see my friends killed. I might be killed or worse, horribly wounded. I started to get angry then. My anger was focused on Iran. What I saw as the source of all of this. This country that stole 30 Americans for what? The more I thought about it, the angrier I got. I thought, who does Iran think they are? They can't do this. The captain was right. This is exactly why I joined the army. Before I knew it, I was frothy with rage, and I was actually looking forward to the trip. But I don't think that was bravery, necessarily. Rather, I think it was just the way my brain figured out to cope with the fear and dread of something awful something I couldn't avoid. I would say most of the guys coped with it similar to myself. They were resigned to make the best of it, but everybody coped a little differently. Like I said, some guys were bawling. Three guys just jumped off the bleachers and just started running away as if they could just run back home. Some guys were trembling, not coping at all. They were just afraid. After a while, the first sergeant and the drill sergeants called us all back together. The guys that ran off were retrieved. Then the first sergeant told us, quite simply, that none of it was true. They had made it all up. But it could happen just like that, and not to forget about it. Then they left. They just left us there. Wow. Talk about relief. I think I might have cried a little bit when I found out it wasn't true. Now we had a whole new set of emotions to deal with. Anger at them for tricking us like that. Profound relief and the joy that I would get to see my family again. The whole experience established a new level of brotherhood among us. Because we realized in those few moments that a time could come when we really did depend on each other for our life. We all learned a great deal about ourselves that day and about each other. The guys who did not handle it very well were dealing with the shame of that. But even our training and our classes took on a whole new level of importance and relevance because now we knew we were learning things that might save our life. I've never forgotten that moment in time. The memory of it helped shape me through the years. Looking back on it now, 36 years later, I think that might be the actual day that I became a man. Because when I woke up that day, I was still a snot-nosed kid just out of high school. But when I went to bed that night, I was not thinking the thoughts of a boy any longer. As far as lessons go, though, one great thing I learned from this Is that I don't like these kind of surprises. By that I mean being surprised by my own actions and reactions. It's very unsettling for me. To this day, because of this experience, I try to be prepared emotionally and mentally for any eventuality. I do that by imagining worst case scenarios, actually, all scenarios and then deciding how I will feel and react in every case, before it happens. Then when something does come up, I'm not caught off guard. I can think clearly and behave calmly because I've already imagined this and decided how I would feel. Of course, it's impossible to imagine every single possibility, but I do my best, and it has helped me many, many times. Times when others are in crisis, I'm able to remain rational and be a help for those that are not. I think that's an important thing for a man to be able to do. It's an important service you can provide others around you. It's another way of sharing our strength, one of a man's highest callings, in my opinion. This kind of preparation isn't easy. It takes practice a habit of assessing all potential outcomes has to be developed. For me, it's totally worth it, though, because I look at being surprised by my own emotions and reactions the same way I look at being in a boxing ring totally out of gas, unable to defend myself. For me, they are equally horrible things, and I've done them both. So think about it, guys. If it sounds like a good idea... If it seems like being emotionally and mentally prepared for anything would serve you and the people in your life well, then do something about it. I'd like to take a minute here to recognize and acknowledge all of our present day servicemen that have been involved with war. You guys have all gone through what I went through and much, much, much more. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for your service. Now all of you, go and be a better man today than you were yesterday. Until next time, this is Alf Herigstad, signing out.